It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Western Ag Network's Fence Lines and Headlines. I'm Lane Nordland. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Whether you're tuning in on YouTube, Facebook, or the podcast version on the LaneCast Ag Podcast, we so much enjoy you. Joining us here today, where we're going to be talking about some of the top headline stories and, of course, a little bit of fun that we see out in the countryside. Uh, standing by from his home studio is the one and only Russell Nimitz. And uh, Russell, how's uh, how's your day going so far? Hey, it's going pretty good. Another busy week out in farm and ranch country, of course. Ranchers are busy haying. And, of course, the winter and spring wheat harvest is actually underway and has been in some parts of our uh, coverage area now for a few weeks. And so farmers are excited to be back out in the fields uh, harvesting another bountiful crop, I guess. Oh, yeah. The custom crews are all around us right now. You can just uh, step outside and you can smell here and just take in what is harvest here in north central Montana. That winter wheat crop uh, getting put up, which, uh, hey, we have not had that severe of weather here in my neck of the woods. But I was just in this barley field behind my house. A lot of grasshoppers <laughs> out in it, though, that uh, yeah. you could just hear that the grain moving and then the hoppers on top. But uh We'll cross our fingers that everybody's harvest is very successful as uh, those spring crops also. They'll be they'll be cutting those here in just a few weeks. But again, for our friends joining us, thank you for tuning in to our Fence Line and Headlines episode here today. And, you know, we have a lot to talk about. Not only is harvest uh, uh, ramping up, uh, there's going to be some bikers heading to South Dakota for uh, a newer event called Sturges. Um, yeah, Sturges. Uh, well, they like to eat beef at the Sturges rally. We're going to talk about that. Russell has a great story that we're going to be hearing about in just a few minutes. But also, we're going to have an update on the uh, situation in the Black Sea region, of course. Uh, Russia's war on Ukraine continues to impact global grain supply and prices. We're going to dive into that. And speaking of grain, uh, Russell was just down in Colorado and had a great uh, uh, trip down there. And he's going to join us with a softfly story. And, uh, of course, one of uh, our audience's most uh, favorite. It's going to be Emmy Award winning, I believe, someday. <laughs> My uh, salty segment. What, what's making me salty today? And then we'll wrap up uh, uh, today's segment uh, talking about the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's push to see a ban on Brazilian beef imports into the United States and a little bit of redneck fun after that. So uh, we have a quite quite the show lineup here today, Russ. Yeah, we absolutely do, and and you teed up our first uh, our first news package uh, perfectly. Hard to believe, but the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally 2023 is officially underway in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota. And this week, I had the opportunity to visit with Gary Deering. Now he's out of Hereford, South Dakota, and he's also the vice president of the South Dakota Beef Industry Council. And we talked about how that motorcycle rally brings in over 500,000 people from across the United States and beyond, and how the Beef Council there in South Dakota is making sure that beef is front and center. It's a huge event. It's, we've become the last uh, five, six years we have been the official protein of the rally, uh, so it's, it's just a big honor to be part of. We're 
where uh, Maid County, which is where Sturgis is located, my home county is number five, I believe number five or seven, as far as cow-calf counties in the United States. So obviously it's kind of neat to bring that home and, and to promote beef in, in such a big way. He talks about some of the events during this year's rally that they'll be promoting beef at. Well, we'll be in and around the rally. We're talking, uh, first off, the mayor's ride, which will go through the hills. Uh, we'll be there to, to talk beef to, to the people that are on that ride. And, and uh, we'll be out uh, with the first responders and, and handing out some beef turkey and letting them know, you know, it's going to be hot. It's usually 100 degrees during that uh, the rally. So it's always good to replenish your, your body and get some good nutrition in your body and, and have some good snacks. So we give them beef turkey and talking to, talking to rally goers and first responders about uh, the importance of a good diet. And he says the rally really is a great event to promote the cattle industry and beef to all these visitors from across the United States and the world. You know, and it's, it's always good to connect with all those people and, and uh, the, to, to let them know and, and to let them know beef is a good part of your diet and, and, it's, and it's necessary to, to replenish your, your body with that. And of course, uh, the South Dakota Beef Industry Council has been part of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally now for a lot of years. And Lane, one of these years, we're going to have to actually partake in that. I have heard so much about the rally. I have never been there. I don't have a Harley, don't even have a motorcycle. I guess I could borrow one of my daughter's <laughs> electric scooters. <laughs> It might be pink, but anything goes nowadays in, in the, the big old world. And it just looks like a lot of fun from the motorcycles to the food to the great concerts. And I don't know. I'm just, just throwing it out there. Russell, just when I think you can't do something stupider, you come up <laughs> with this brilliant idea. No, we would be on the little dumb and dumber bike. Bing, bing. I know, right? I don't know. It it does look like a lot of fun though. And I, I forgot, I, you know, I really didn't even do my job with Gary. I should have asked him if he himself has a Harley, you know, no one Gary Deering. I mean, those that in the world that know Gary, not sure he has a motorcycle, but he'd have no problem showing up on, on horseback there. Probably had a little two stroke dirt bike. <laughs> Um, you know, but I, I just, I, I, they always say cowboys and bikers don't mix, but obviously the, uh, the beef councils may be changing that uh, perception around there that, I mean, that's good cattle sheep country. So we'll, uh, maybe we'll make it down there. Uh, I did drive through there once in college when the, when the, uh, rally was going on, uh, we oh, were what? driving to the national alpha gamma Rho fraternity gathering in Indianapolis. We rented a Nissan Armada from, uh, the rental place there in Bozeman. And that was on a route to and from. And <laughs> I was white knuckled the whole way through just, just driving because I, it takes a lot to get through there and you got to drive safe with, with all the bikers, but Hey, yeah, yeah. that's great. What well, the beef council's doing down there. I think that's awesome. And here's, here's the deal. I mean, out of the 500,000 people and they, and they really do bring in a half a million people. And this year's rally, by the way, runs through August 13th. But I think in, in in today's deal anymore a large portion of those visitors they don't ride the motorcycle from where they started all the way into the black hills i know of so many people that haul them behind their rvs or their pickups and enclosed trailers and you know a lot of them they get you know they get to hewlett wyoming or gillette they they park there and then they ride in so i mean 
I don't know. I think we'd have a pretty good time. And you know, we, we know a lot of, lot of folks down there. And how cool is it, though, for South Dakota Governor Christy Nome to kind of actively partake in the rally, too? I saw pictures on Facebook this morning of her, uh, you know, on her way from the state capitol, making her way to Sturgis on her Harley. Maybe she could get one of those little buddy seats and I could just be in a little buddy cart. She could roll me into town there. Yeah, we'll we'll run it by our staff and and see see uh <laughs> this is the this is what happens though. You know, I mean when you do stuff, you have a cat jump up and join you on the program. <laughs> I'm not sure how to fix that one, but old Sassafras, she joined us there. But uh I guess with that we better we better send it to a break and We'll be back with more, but first these messages from our friends at Ag Risk Advisors. <laughs> Ready for a real PRF partner? He was willing to track us for a year and provide that data back to us for a year. That's a guy making a pretty big investment. At Ag Risk Advisors, this isn't our first rodeo. We are one of the most experienced in pasture rangeland forage. Honesty, commitment, trust. Many companies use these words. At AgRisk Advisors, we earn them. Again, a big thank you to our friends at AgRisk Advisors for bringing you today's Fence lines and headlines conversation here on the Western Ag Network. And uh, nothing like a little feline interruption there. Uh, <laughs> it's sassy. Uh, I, if I were outside our barn cat, Frank, she would uh, probably be interrupting us right now. But yeah. uh, she's not allowed in the house. Uh, Russ, you know, we were talking about, obviously, harvest is really ramping up uh, or, or wrapped up, depending on where our viewers are, are tuning in from here today. But uh, every single day, farmers are really watching the markets just because of the swing in the markets that occurs just with a little bit of news, whether it's actual actual news or just rumors coming out of the Black Sea region as the Russian-Ukraine war wages on. Now, just a few weeks ago, Russia backed out of the Black Sea Grain Agreement, which allowed uh, grain ships from Ukraine to make its way through the Black Sea region. Uh, Russia claims that was in retaliation for uh a Ukraine bombing on a Russian bridge. Uh, but Russia really has stepped up its attacks on Ukrainian grain export stocks and terminals on the Danube River and also uh, there in the Black Sea uh, region as well at their ports of Odessa. Now, this is also sending world food uh, prices higher, a lot of volatility in our grain markets, of course. And uh, this week, the U.S. State Department said Russia's attack on grain supplies continues to wreak uh, global havoc on the world. Well, just since the end of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, strikes carried out by Russia have destroyed 180,000 tons of grain inside Ukraine, including, as you said, 40,000 tons of grain just in the past 24 hours. Some of those attacks occurring at the port of Ismail on the Danube River where grain spilled out of wrecked silos and grain ships were halted in their tracks. American Farm Bureau's Dave Salmason has voiced concern over Russia's impact on the commercial cargo traffic as well. What had seemed to be a fairly stable within a war zone, if there's anything as such as known as stable within a, within a conflict, way of moving grain has now been stopped. And Ukraine has to find other ways of getting their grain out. 
But with Danube ports now under attack, slower, more expensive rail routes through Poland will further squeeze Ukraine's grain exports. The State Department says it's all taking the toll Russia wanted while hurting hungry nations across the world. So we have seen Russia, uh, if anything, turn up its attacks uh, so that they are not just targeting people inside Ukraine, but in fact the whole world. Because when they target grain infrastructure, when they target shipping infrastructure, when they destroy grain, as they have in the past few weeks, they aren't just harming Ukraine, they're harming all the countries around the world, uh, uh, including most particularly developing countries who depend on those exports uh, for survival. Now, Ukrainian officials report that Moscow hit 26 port facilities, including Odessa on the Black Sea there, uh, five civilian vessels and almost 200,000 tons of grain in nine days since quitting that Black Sea grain deal. And, you know, Russ, closer to home, obviously we are watching this and uh, we mentioned this really impacts uh, wheat prices on a, on a daily uh, time. Uh, and here in the U.S., U.S. Chicago wheat prices rose by nearly 5% in the wake of that latest Danube River port attack. Um, obviously, on Friday, that the uh, the shock and awe of that uh, attack wore off in the markets, and they actually closed substantially lower. But uh, it just goes to show just how global events truly impact farmers and ranchers right here in our backyard. And that's, that's why we share uh, news that is so important to producers, whether that's local, state, national, or international, because it, it we are in an international business. Yeah, we sure are. And of course, there was a lot of shock and awe, you know, last spring when this whole Russia-Ukraine uh, war started. And, and boy, that sent the wheat markets uh, through the roof. And of course, you know, we watched fertilizer prices basically double, triple, quadruple in some cases. Uh, the good news this week, uh, you know, from, from different news outlets like DTN, you know, reporting fertilizer prices, at least as we head into the fall planting season here in a few weeks, you know, they're looking about 50% uh, of where they were just a year ago. So providing growers a little bit of relief from some of those high input costs. But yeah, we are, we're in a global market and, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot out there on the world front as your story perfectly pointed out lane to, to you know send the markets one way or the other and here of late that russia situation has certainly sent it you know upward in a lot of cases you know and it for for domestic wheat prices you know during a typical time like harvest in which we're in right now we traditionally don't see an up market in you know during harvest time as as the combines roll through the winter wheat fields and we get you know, further into uh, the 2023 spring wheat crop. So, you know, seeing a summer rally for whatever reason uh, is always good for the farmer. No, very, very true. And again, we continue to track that every single day on our radio and TV programs and, and here on our weekend and, and daily uh, podcast episodes and on YouTube. Uh, but but maybe spinning the grain conversation more closer to home, Russell, uh, you recently were out and about in a Colorado wheat field, just learning about research and efforts to really com combat the, the soft fly. What want to share more on that? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, Paul Humphrey and I, we did have an opportunity a couple weeks ago to spend a couple days down in northern Colorado and eastern Colorado and and visit with different growers about, you know, some of the things impacting their bottom lines outside of policy, whether policy from state capitals or, 
you know, our nation's capital. And, and one of those issues that has been impacting wheat farmers across the entire Great Plains, which is a large portion of the U.S. wheat belt, has been the sawfly. And for a lot of years, it was just one of those pests that were impacting farmers maybe in one state or two state. But as time has marched on, the sawfly really has become kind of a, a growing problem, if you will, and which is really starting to impact wheat farmers across the entire Great Plains and more importantly, their bottom line. During our trip to Colorado, we swung out to Bennett and had a good visit with uh, Justin Luton, who's the president of the Colorado Association of Wheat Growers. And we talked about the Great Plains Sawfly Project, which is underway which is basically a survey encouraging growers who are also facing sawfly damage to participate and help those important researchers at our land-grant universities here in Western Egg Network country hopefully find a solution to sawfly sooner rather than later. So right in this area, we've only really seen it the last three or four years. We've been able to stay with hollow stem varieties up until then. Um, last year and the year before were both kind of eye-openers for a lot of people in the area that hadn't experienced it because thin stands and sawfly are just a recipe for disaster. My opinion is if you've got sawfly, you've lost 30% of your yield right off the top. This is why it's so important, he says, for farmers to participate in the Great Plains Sawfly Survey Project. Well, it's huge because, I mean, as you guys know up in Montana, you guys have been facing it for 25 years probably, maybe longer. And it was tough to try and get funding and research dollars for something that was deemed only as a one state problem. So when we can combine together and we can work together, because we all have a common goal and we have a common thing that we need to push against, uh, it becomes a lot easier to go back to DC and, and talk to legislators and say, here's what the economic issues are here. And here's what the environmental issues are here with this pest. And when we can start having those conversations and then we can get research dollars out and have a combined effort across five states, it becomes a lot easier challenge to manage. It's not just one load that's being lifted by one person type deal. And he hopes other wheat growers will join him and take part in this very important survey, which only takes a few minutes to complete. 20 minutes and, and you can have the survey done. Um, a lot of the questions are, what have you seen? How does it, does it impact you? Does it change what you're doing? Will it change what you're doing going forward? And it gives, it gives perspective of, of the scope of the problem. Yeah, and it sure does. And Lane, I don't know if you caught Justin's, uh, you know, some of his opening statement there, but basically in a nutshell, he said, if you have softly on your farm, you're reducing 30% of your, of your, uh, potential right off the top. That's, that's significant, you know, and, and like you said, just takes a few minutes to, to help out by participating in the survey. And for more information, basically growers are encouraged to contact their own state associations, wherever they may live. Well, great report, Russ, and uh, just uh, great seeing all the work down there that uh, Colorado wheat growers and wheat growers across uh, and barley growers across uh, the West and, and Midwest are, are, are putting into just having 
good crops and and make the most profitability out there but uh it's mother nature we're always going to have these obstacles but uh, so many great research opportunities uh, out there and uh again uh, i saw some soft flies uh, out in the, the barley field right up uh, behind me this morning filming tv and i'm like oh gosh darn that's not fun <laughs> yeah we've been talking about soft fly in montana for a lot of years and like i said the the pest itself has kind of migrated you know, downward uh, into other states like Colorado and Nebraska and, and Wyoming. So as Justin said, I mean, it's really good to have a collaborative effort and for, you know, researchers, not just at Montana State University, but also at Colorado State University, University of Nebraska, UW, C, you know, uh, South Dakota State University, everybody kind of pitching in and like, a, you know, trying to find a, a solution to this problem sooner than later you know you talk about finding a solution for problems it, it's it's time for what makes lane salty finding a solution for problems well russ what makes me salty today is is me and getting older and getting hung over you what what did what have you been doing this week to even be hungover? I I went to that fundraiser for Montana State University's Hilleman Scholarship Program. Okay. So I was out with Turk and Jenny Stovall, our friend Jim and Sarah McRae, and uh, uh, Dean Folkford was there. I mean we we raised about over four hundred thousand dollars to help uh, rural students in Montana. Rural uh, agriculture and native student scholarships, great program. I just. Uh, I drank away. They only had wine there and some bad IPA. So I figured I'd go with the wine. And yeah, what I've learned is I got told when you turn 25, the hangovers really start. Well, I'm several years past 25 and uh, I'm still not moving at 100% here. So that's what I'm, I'm salty really? about me, Russell, getting old and not being able to get over a hangover. Uh, I I feel your pain. I mean, can you imagine being in my boots? I mean, I'm I'm just about 50. That's why I can't hang with you young bucks like I used to. But uh, it's, you know, it, it always seems fun at the time, right? But the next day or the next <laughs> several days afterwards, you just tell yourself, I'm never doing that ever, ever again, right? Let's just say that was the longest drive of my life back home from Bozeman. You know, because I, I go over the mountain there past yeah. Bridger Bowl and through White Sulphur Springs and yeah, I was going like, I was one of those old guys going 50 miles an hour because I hurt so bad. But well, I make myself salty this week. Getting old, that's what yeah. makes me salty, Russ. So. Well, and you actually have a few solutions. You know, I've traveled with you long enough now. I mean, you've got a few uh, tricks in your bag. And, and usually one of them is like a, a milkshake from Wendy's and maybe some French fries. <laughs> I, I did make it to Town Pump and got it for real. That That's what kind of made it to white sulfur and got one of those for real milkshakes but with that friends that may be not the most exciting salty segment but i'm salty on myself getting old and not being able to uh, cheer myself from a hangover i just shouldn't drink and uh, with that we're gonna come back with uh, the cattleman's efforts to stop uh imports of brazilian beef and a little more uh, but we're gonna take a quick uh, commercial break we'll be back right after this <laughs> When it comes to the beef business, there's no room for gray area. The decisions being made in Washington affect the future of the beef industry, the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Visit 
ncba.org to learn more. As we come back, a big thank you to NCBA for sponsoring today's conversation. And uh, we, we're going to stay on the cattle subject uh, here today. Uh, the health of the U.S. cattle herd is a, a top concern for family ranchers out across the countryside. And for several years, groups like the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, along with others, have uh, called on the U.S. Department of Agriculture to halt the import of beef. So banned beef uh, imports from Brazil uh, as Brazil continues to not follow world health procedures when it comes to cases of atypical BSC and, and other animal health concerns. Uh, recently, I was able to speak with uh, South Dakota rancher and president of the NCBA, Todd Wilkinson, on NCBA's call to ban Brazilian beef imports and his frustration with USDA for not taking action on the matter. You hit a hot button for me because I tell you this Brazilian uh, deal just just accentuates how uh, out of touch uh, Secretary Vilsack is with with America's producers because all all the cattle groups joined together, Farm Bureau uh, joined with us. We are all calling for a ban. Um, you know, Brazil just ignores the rules. The rest of the world operates by a set of rules where we have to report an atypical case and it has to be done with a certain parameters. Brazil doesn't care. This is the sixth or seventh time that they have demonstrated over the years that the rules apparently doesn't apply to them. And, and yet we can't get our secretary, and this doesn't take legislation. This is a stroke of the pen type thing for the secretary of ag to be able to to rectify this situation. This spring, Western Ag Network sat down with Secretary Vilsack during the Commodity Classic and asked him why the U.S. has not halted imports of Brazilian beef. On the BSE issue, I think we have to be very, very careful. Very careful. And why do I say that? Because there are different types of BSE. Uh, and when you have an atypical case, as is the case with uh, the Brazilian situation, uh, the World uh, Animal Health Organization basically says that's not uh, a basis upon which you should be restricting trade. Uh, we had a BSE, an atypical BSE incident, uh, not too long ago in, in uh, out west. Uh, and so do we want uh, the rest of the world to stop our beef trade for an atypical case? I don't think we do. Uh, so I think we have to be very careful about, about this particular circumstance and situation and understanding the distinction between the type of BSE that would really cause a significant problem and, and one that does not. Uh, and uh, again, the World Health uh, Animal Health Organization has basically been very clear about this, that they, they draw a very fine line uh, with, a, with atypical cases. Uh, we'll obviously continue to be monitoring this and be very vigilant about it. But whatever we do to Brazil, the rest of the world can do to the United States. And I think that's why we have to be a bit careful about it. When it comes to Brazil, NCBA claims USDA will still not hear the concerns of family ranchers. This is not an issue that's contentious uh, among cattle producers. We're all in agreement on this, and yet we can't even get Secretary Vilsack to pick up the phone and talk to us about this issue. Now, Russ, uh, just a reminder that in the United States back in May, USDA did report an a typical case of BSC in South Carolina, but that case was reported within the 24-hour period mandated by the World Animal Organization for Animal Health. Atypical cases, of course, just occur uh, spontaneously. It's not like uh, BSC that obviously, like the cow that shut down Christmas uh, several years ago, over 20 years ago at this point, but uh, we should point out that the last atypical case of BSC in Brazil 
that was confirmed on February 22nd, 2023. Uh, that was 35 days after it was first identified. So that is one of the key things there too. A lot of that concern, uh, if they're reporting atypical cases, 35 days after they occur. What if it's a, a true full-blown BSE case and that product is getting imported into the United States? So uh, very, very contentious issue. Uh, cattlemen of, of all cattle organizations agree that the ban should be in place. Obviously, we heard from the secretary's uh, remarks about how it could impact producers if if uh, the U.S. took action on an atypical case similar to the one in South Carolina. But uh, again, the, the, this is what's on the minds of producers here this year and, and for quite some time. Yeah, and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, it was good to hear it from the horse's mouth when we had that opportunity to sit down with uh, Secretary Vilsack during Commodity Classic. And I think a lot of folks can appreciate uh, the rationale behind his statement there. But the cattle industry, a lot of red flags going off, not the fact that South America or Brazil or other South American countries are, are, are powering through atypical cases of BSC. It's the fact that they're kind of circumventing the reporting that the rest of us have been doing so diligently that is what's setting off the alarms, not just within CBA, but as Todd said, you know, doesn't happen very often, but this is one of those key issues where NCBA, RCAF, U.S. Cattlemen's, Farm Bureau, just about everybody out there agrees on. Yep, very true. I wonder if all the South Dakota presidents are, are going to jump on Harley's for uh, Sturges. You got the NCBA president, U.S. Cattlemen's Association president, RCAF president, and Vice President American Farm Bureau as well, all from South Dakota. That could be quite the, that could be a rally in itself. That's almost, yeah, I was going to say, that's almost a, a parade in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, uh, talking about good old fun, you know, when I'm always on Instagram or scrolling around, I always always find things, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is this is funny. Uh, Russ, you know, we always enjoy some good old redneck humor sometimes and whatnot, but uh, have you ever seen combine derbies, demolition derbies? Um, I've never witnessed one in person, but holy cow, <laughs> that looks fun. I, you know, wouldn't that be fun to watch? I, I, I swear to goodness, like, I, I think Fort Benton, Montana used to have a combine demolition derby. I, I could be wrong, but. Yeah, that is, uh, I, I, I've enjoyed a lot of the comments on this, um, where people are literally uh, <laughs> just talking about, well, gosh darn, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money there, and and why are why are people uh, why are people wrecking all this stuff? And and I'm like, uh, that's about four hundred dollars in scrap if if you can get it taken apart correctly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? This is what rural America, our county fairs, are still about. You know, I mean, truly. It's like going, you know, I mean, it's going to like going to a rodeo or going to a 4-H show or something. I mean, if you if your county fair still has a combine demolition derby, you're winning. Okay, you're so. winning out there. And if they've never had them, maybe they should consider it. I mean, did you see yeah. those guys first on impact? <laughs> that first clip? <laughs> yeah. I, I would have went through the windshield probably. I was going to say, I wonder what the <laughs> seatbelt protocol is in one of those. Talk about whiplash. Holy, you were talking about your hangover earlier. Can you imagine the next day after doing a combine 
Derby. Oh, I just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Thanks, thanks for finding that. That is that is absolutely fantastic. Well, you know, there's probably some Coors Originals uh, brought together when 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 the fair committees that you know what let, let's do this sounds like a good idea. Hey, but it also cleans out the junkyard at the farm too. Well, yeah, and it's just good old fashioned fun. <laughs> I mean, and then you throw in probably more adult beverages at the fair and you, and an audience and you know lots of just the back and forth of competition. That's that's good time there. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to. I've never seen one in person, so I'm gonna have to find one of those. Kind of maybe maybe we'll find one on the way to Sturges one of these years. <laughs> or combine. Yeah, exactly. Combine. Maybe uh, we'll stop by in like Wyola or sundance uh, you know or somewhere along the way yeah it'd have to be a little yeah exactly i mean it's gotta be, <laughs> gotta be a little bigger than wyola i'm not even sure what wyola montana has anymore but a stop sign <laughs> they got a, they got a bull sale about once a year there but yeah. uh hey you know i think we've covered a lot here today and, and for our friends that have uh stuck with us here on facebook youtube or listening to the podcast audio on the lane cast egg podcast you know we uh, appreciate you joining us here on fence lines and headlines here on the western egg network you know this is just a small portion of all the the top stories that we share throughout the week and when we're on the road bringing uh, you the top information that impacts family farmers and ranchers uh, here in Western Ag Network country, it's it's our pleasure to to do that. And and Russ, thanks for joining us here again today. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it's always it's always fun and a pleasure. <laughs> you never know what I'm going to be salty about or what I'll find on uh, on the old Instagram. But uh, uh, I know the uh, best thing too, Lane, is is like maybe some folks out there think that we we actually rehearse this or. <laughs> No, this is it would actually is, be good if this we is rehearsed wrong. it. Yeah, it would it would be a higher quality product if we actually took the time to rehearse it. And and half the time I don't even know what you're coming at me with, what makes Lane salty or your social media fine, like the combine demolition derby. So those are great. That's the best part about it. That that the we we're not limited to three minutes on on radio or TV, so that that's the scary part. I know for Paul, <laughs> our videographer on the back end of this production, he uh, he's probably like, "Okay, guys, wrap up the show. You've been yep. talking enough." So yeah, yep, exactly. That, that's probably what I got to do. Hey, on behalf of the Western Egg Network crew, Russell Nemitz, Paul Humphrey on the back end of this production, I'm Lane Nordland. If you haven't done so yet. Follow us on Facebook, subscribe to us on uh, YouTube, and also on all of our social media pages. You, you can find us at Western Ag Network, the podcast audio located under the LaneCast Ag Podcast. It's already created. It's there. It's my picture, LaneCast, one word. I was really creative when I came up with that name, but uh, <laughs> we enjoy you joining us here today. And, uh, of course, we appreciate you tuning in and, and just sharing more about what's going on in the countryside. So, for the Western Ag Network, I'm Lane Nordland for this Fence Lines and Headlines segment. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.